It's been an enormous year for the world, and it's also been a big year for the Grattan Institute. We've seen bushfires, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the huge fiscal and societal effects that that has had across Australia. I have a very special podcast for us today, and that's with our CEO, Danielle Wood, reflecting on the year that was, and what a big year it was, Danny. It was indeed. I was actually just trying to think back to the start of the year, and it, it seems like almost an eternity ago. I think that the concept of COVID time is, is very real. It's a really strange feeling because this is the, my first day back in the office after nine months and I came in, my desk calendar was still on March and I had to flick it across to December. <laughs> it's very nice to see you again face-to-face. It has been a long time. It is. Now, I want to take you through today um, some of the things that Grattan has done this year because I feel that Grattan this year particularly has contributed in a huge way to the public policy debates and actually helped health policy a great deal through the coronavirus crisis, particularly in Australia. But my first question to you is really what is the biggest achievement or achievements for Grattan this year? Look, I think as a sort of public policy think tank, you know, when when Australian public policy wins, all of us win. Clearly the biggest policy issue of the year is is COVID and the many ways in which that impacts society, so the health response, the economic response, the way in which a lot of our social policies have had to, to flex. And we realised, you know, I think very early on in the crisis that this was going to be important and we were going to dedicate substantial resources to it. So in terms of Grattan impact, I think, you know, probably on the health front, uh, we were out there very early advocating for an elimination or radical suppression strategy, as we say now, Uh, We're in the luxurious position of being an island nation that can control our borders. So that was actually something that we could realistically aim for. And I think that was the right target. Uh, It was fantastic. I think that, you know, our work was quite influential with some of the state governments and we've ended up in a better spot, I think, both from a health perspective and an economic perspective because of that. We're also obviously spend a lot of time thinking about economic policy and um, when you shut everything down, It's really important to have the supports in place for businesses and households to help them stay afloat during that period. So we were very active in those debates. And then the other economic challenge, of course, is, you know, once you put those emergency supports in place, as you start to transition off, the question is, you know, is the economy ready to kind of move back into gear and replace that? And it was pretty clear that we weren't in a strong position. It's very difficult to go from having that much uh, fiscal input into the economy to turning the tap off hard overnight. So we talked a lot about the fiscal cliff and the dangers of that and the need for significant fiscal stimulus in its place. The third area, I think, in terms of COVID where we had a real impact was in some of those other policy spaces, and I'd look particularly to um, school education policy. Our team did a report advocating for a policy to help disadvantaged students catch up on lost learning via an intensive tutoring program, and that's something that we've seen picked up by the New South Wales and Victorian state governments. So I think if you look across the whole spectrum of ways in which governments have responded to COVID, I think we've been uh, pretty integral to a lot of those important debates. And fast forward nine months and we're more than 37 days without a case in in Victoria and that's 
an incredible thing to see after proposing uh, the elimination or the radical suppression strategy back in March, to see that this actually works and to see the policy has had a huge effect on not just our state, but Australia as a whole. Now, some listeners may be familiar with our contributions if they've been listening to the podcast for this whole year, but I want you to take us through, um, first up, the elimination strategy and, and that kind of impact and that policy roadmap, as well as our go for zero report. And then we'll get a little bit more into the fiscal cliff and the education reports as well. Look, so if we go back to the elimination strategy, it's hard to almost remember, but in early March, there was a lot of uncertainty. The virus was new. Governments were really scrambling and all of us were trying to scramble to understand and kind of think through what the best response was. And I looked back at the piece that John Daly, our former CEO, wrote uh, in, in that period in sort of early to mid-March, uh, which was called Endgame C. And it was actually read over a million times, which is pretty extraordinary uh, if you think of Australia's population being only 25 million. And it sort of stepped through the logic. So it was really sort of taking a big picture strategic view. Uh, and he said, you know, there's, there's three options. We either let it rip, uh, in which case you risk obviously your hospital department becoming overwhelmed and a lot of people dying. You can try and do what we were calling at the time, I think it was the hammer and the dance or flatten the curve. Um, so you try and take some smaller steps to reduce the spread. The challenge, of course, when you have a highly infectious virus is then stopping it from breaking out and you're kind of going up that infection curve again. Or in game C was eliminate. You lock down hard, hopefully for a short period of time, you try and get cases to zero and then you gradually and sequentially open up again. Now, that's not to say that the virus isn't going to reappear. As we know, <laughs> there, are, there are ways in which it can slip into the net. So you want to make sure you ramp up your contact tracing, you're ready to go and jump on the outbreaks, but you've got much better chance of containing if you've got to that elimination point. One thing that essentially John was arguing for at the time was to shut international borders to, to help facilitate that approach. That was controversial at the time, but I think with the benefit of hindsight, it's clear I think that that strategy has served us well. And it's one of those things where hindsight is exactly that. It's really hard to tell at the time if you're making the right call. But I'm very proud that Grattan did make this call and it has saved, I believe, a lot of lives. We followed that up with some op-eds in uh, kind of June, July, and also another report called Go for Zero, which outlined that roadmap for how to get to zero cases. And that was particularly important looking at Victoria's second lockdown as well. That's right. So it was, I mean, again, it was very contested policy area. It was extremely difficult decisions that were being made in Victoria during the second wave. Um, Stephen Duckett, our health program director in that report, you know, really set out this idea of you know, staying substantially locked down until we had fewer than five cases that you wouldn't lift substantially until, until you were at zero. It was controversial and there were certainly many that were calling for things to open up earlier. It's always difficult to know, but you know, the key point of that report was if you did that, there was a risk that it would take off again. And if you really wanted to be sure that you were squashing that risk and that the lockdown would pay off as a strategy, waiting in that way that as the Victorian government ended up doing, uh, we thought on balance was the, the right approach. And uh, certainly, you know, feels good to be in Victoria now and to see things gradually reopen. Uh, of course, it does come with a price and that's why it's really important that, you know, economic policy is in there cushioning that blow 
for the businesses and the households that have, you know, borne the brunt of trying to get the virus under control. And that leads quite nicely into something I did want to ask you about, and it's something that you've talked about quite a bit, which is this idea of the fiscal cliff and that we have all these measures to protect people and their livelihood and their incomes, but what happens when we drop that off immediately? And you talked about it this year and warned about that. And also, I just love for you to talk a little bit about what you were saying about that and what we should be doing about that and to protect people and also rebuild a little bit after COVID-19. Sure. And so I think the first thing that's worth saying is, you know, the economic response in the early stages uh, after the lockdown was put in place was really pivotal, I think, to how well Australia has come out of this. So the JobKeeper scheme was a real game changer. I think it was a really strong piece of policy. You know, it, it helped people stay connected to their employers. It it gave um, households income support. And on the other side, it's also giving business liquidity support to to start opening their doors. So, you know, we actually came out of that lockdown period with households in reasonable financial shape, businesses largely, you know, we didn't see mass bankruptcies. In fact, uh, the opposite, if anything, lower rates of bankruptcies than in a normal year. So I think that it was a really important piece of policy, as was uh, effectively doubling the rate of the job seeker payment. The risk, as you say, and what I, what I started calling the fiscal cliff, which was a term that, that took on more widely, was that if you turn all of that off at the same time, you know, if you sort of leave it on for six months and then turn off all those policies that are working to support the economy, um, you could end up with quite a significant hole. And the idea is those emergency supports can't stay in place forever, but you're going to need some government support to replace them. And that's when you start looking at more sort of normal fiscal stimulus policies. Um, So we were certainly active in calling for that. I was really delighted to see both in the the federal budget in October, they, they did step up with quite a significant fiscal stimulus package. It wasn't perfect in my mind in a lot of ways, but on the scale of it, that was really significant to see. Um, there was also the decision, of course, to transition more slowly off the JobKeeper and JobSeeker payments so you didn't get that hard turn off of the tap. And then we also saw a lot of, um, I think, really significant spending to help support the economy in the state budgets. And it was great to see um, the Victorian budget, for example, a much more diverse range of, of policies, so not just focused on stimulus through tax cuts and construction, but looking at ways, for example, to, to, to support jobs in the services sector and including sort of social spending. And one of those big ticket items that did come out in some of those state budgets, as you mentioned, New South Wales and Victoria, was the tutoring programs for um, catching up students who had missed school or had had to be schooled from home during COVID. And a lot of those recommendations had come out of a report that Julie Sonneman, the Acting Education Program Director, had written called COVID Catch-Up. And that was a very exciting time to see that policy that had been kind of outlined there really take hold in, in the New South Wales and Victorian state budgets. So I think one of the things we've learned during this period is when governments making a lot of policy really fast you know, the value of outside groups that have have done thinking and have come up with different ideas that meet those policy objectives, uh, it allows government to to just pick it up and run with it. So I think that was a a beautiful example of that. It was a really neat policy solution. We know that disadvantaged students fall even further behind during remote learning. So the, the idea of an intensive tutoring program, we have some evidence from overseas that that actually works to help close the learning gap. 
And at the same time, it is also creating jobs in um, that education policy space in, in a period where you actually want government coming in and supporting job creation. So it was, I think, a really creative both economic and social policy solution. So we were really delighted to see that get picked up on a big scale by both the Victorian and New South Wales governments and I think South Australia is doing a smaller scale trial of it as well. Yeah, it was a really exciting moment for us to see that and also I believe for Julie as well. Now, we'd be remiss in not talking about the other issue that did face Australia this year, which was those raging bushfires at the start of the year. And and some of us, we just can't believe that it happened this year as well because it's been such a big year. Fast forward you know, to the end of this year, and we've just released our last report for the year, which is on climate change and health. What I wanted to ask you is that post-pandemic, will we be doing more work on climate change? And what are the big picture things that you see for Grattan in 2021? So look, when I said, um, you know, COVID was the most pressing policy this issue this year, I think in the longer term that switches to, to climate change. And obviously this is an area where we've had a lot to say in the past. I think the climate change and health report was important because there can be a tendency to just look at um, climate change through an, a narrow lens or mainly focusing on energy policy, for example. But that idea of, well, it has these other extremely significant effects. This is not just about you know natural disasters and the immediate damage that they cause to um, household property and, and animals and all those other ways that they play out. But there's also um, all these second round effects. So the impacts on the health system because people are coming in with respiratory issues from bushfire smoke, the longer term impacts because of the mental health issues that emerge from those kind of natural disasters, you know, that is going to see increasing pressure going forward on our health system. And, you know, we have to start planning for that now. So I think that report was a really timely reminder of some of the challenges we face because of climate change. Uh, that, of course, makes it all the more pressing that we're contributing um, not just to, to dealing with the fallout but actually trying to address the problem. So this is something that I think we will have more to say about um, throughout 2021 and beyond and, you know, certainly kind of thinking beyond just the energy world but, you know, obviously we, we look at areas around transport policy Government budgets is a really interesting one. We've got intergenerational reports coming out this year from New South Wales and the Commonwealth Government looking out over 40 years of government finances. You can't really do that exercise properly without taking into account the impacts that climate change is going to ha have because of things like natural disasters. Um, so I think there are a lot of ways in which it cuts across Grattan's work um, that we'll be looking into. Uh, as for other things going on in 2021, uh, we've got some early reports coming out on immigration. Uh, it's quite an interesting area. Obviously, immigration is basically ground to a halt overnight because of COVID. Pre-COVID, we were running, you know, a big immigration program in this country by international standards. Uh, so, you know, not having that will leave a significant hole in the short term, but it's also an opportunity to revisit the settings around that program. So there's aspects of the skilled migration program, for example, that um, people have been critical of um, now, you know, when no one's coming in, there's actually a good chance to make sure that that's set up well um, and it, it's, you know, really um, well designed to contribute to Australian life. We've got a project on women and COVID and, um, you know, as we know, women have been 
hard hit in different ways because of COVID and making sure that the policy settings are right to address disadvantage in that group. Uh, personally, I've got a report that I've been thinking about for a while now around um, integrity and the way in which people in political office can make decisions for personal or political gain rather than in the public interest. And, you know, that's something we've seen a few examples of perhaps towards the end of this year. I think that's something that really disillusions the public. And so this is important, not just for the fallout from any individual decision, but because of the broader impact that it, that it has on the public's trust in the, in the political system. Another area that we're going to be looking into in a lot more detail next year is macroeconomic policy. And although it may sound dry, it, it is incredibly important. So the decisions that we're making in terms of the monetary policy, in terms of fiscal policy and how much governments spend really are going to make a difference to how well we come out of this pandemic. So, you know, a one percentage point difference in the unemployment rate is a huge number of people being in work compared to out of a job. And we know that that really matters for their long-term economic future, but also for mental health and all sorts of other reasons. So this really matters. I'm going to butt in there for us economics noobs who are listening to this podcast, uh, macroeconomic policy in, in one or two sentences. Uh, so it is essentially what's happening with monetary policy, interest rates, et cetera, things that the Reserve Bank does, and fiscal policy, which is the government's budget policy settings. So what we found coming out of COVID is normally we rely a lot on the monetary policy side to, to smooth out fluctuations in the economy. But as we know, interest rates are sitting pretty close to zero. Our central bank, like many around the world, are moving to more unconventional ways to stimulate, but they've only got so much petrol left in the tank. So increasingly people are looking to fiscal policy to do that role. So that's quite a significant reconfiguration. It will really um, need to shift the way we think about these tools. And, you know, ultimately, as I said, this has big implications for how the economy runs and how things like labour market outcomes perform. And I'm looking forward to doing that podcast because I don't know much about macroeconomic policy. So I feel like I can ask the questions for all of us on that one. Just wrapping up, Danny, I kind of want to turn to Grattan as an institution itself. And I wanted to ask you how COVID has impacted us as a nonprofit organisation and also how people can support our work. I think like many not-for-profits, it has been a, a challenging year on the financial front. Uh, so a lot of our supporters you know, have, have been struggling financially themselves and so they've just been in less of a position to give. So we have um, seen revenues fall, uh, ironically, at the period where there's there's never been more demand for our work. And certainly we saw, you know, a lot of requests for advice and assistance and obviously governments with a big appetite, the sort of work we were producing, um, huge demand in the media for, for people coming out, you know, talking about these issues in a really calm, considered way and putting facts on the table. Stream Media Monitoring Services said in the, the first few months of the pandemic, we were the third most cited institute after Peter Doherty Institute and the CSIRO. So we, we saw a huge demand for our services. So we absolutely want to continue to do what we're doing. We think, you know, the next year is incredibly important for policy. Decisions that the government makes in this window is really going to determine how well we come out of this pandemic. And, you know, really, if we do build back better or we just sort of slowly 
limp to the world we were in before. Uh, so if people do like our work, uh, if they see the value in, in you know, having someone there, producing evidence-based research and then advocating for better policy, um, they can support us by going to the Grattan website, hitting the Donate Now button. Uh, and also, please, while you're there, sign up for the Grattan newsletter and stay in touch with the work that we're doing. Thank you so much, Danny. And like she says, if you go to grattan.edu.au forward slash donate, we would really appreciate your support. I mean, it's been an incredible year and I feel that Grattan has produced some amazing work that has really contributed to this country. And this is all from an office of people that has about 30 staff in it at any one time. So we really have been driving hard to honestly help people and help Australia to recover from this pandemic. So I'd like to thank you so much for listening this year. This will be our last recorded podcast for the year. Apart from our wonderful summer recommended reading list for the Prime Minister, we'll be posting an event recording of that next week. But from myself and from Danny, I just want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and holiday season. We hope you have a wonderful break and get some time off over this time to refresh with friends and family. Thank you so much for listening.